Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. This is a message uh, that uh, deals with the subject of what the Bible calls the overseer um, in Titus 1, 6 through 11. You know, there once was a shepherd who loved his flock of sheep. He fed them and watered them. He bathed them and tended to their hurts. The only trouble is that he didn't build a protective fence around their home. He had a habit of going to sleep at night, leaving no one to guard them. They had always been safe in the past, but one night wolves came. In the morning when he woke up, many of the sheep were missing or dead. That day, he built a fence and made sure that there was always someone there to guard the sheep. Let's read Titus 1, 6-7. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. You know, in Titus 1, 6 through 11, Paul tells Titus to appoint overseers in the churches. Now, the word overseer is episkopos in Greek and means uh, bishop, curator, superintendent, guardian, watchman. Overseers are to be shepherds to the sheep, watchmen, or guardians. And this applies to pastors, teachers, uh, deacons, elders, etc., it's not enough to just feed the sheep on the simple uh, truths of the gospel. Hebrews 5, 13 through 6, 3 says this, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death or of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. At some point, the overseer must teach the sheep how to be discerning. Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 10 says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth 
by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and in their deceitful scheming. Overseers need to set up boundaries to protect sheep from wolves. This is where many overseers fail today. They feed the sheep, uh, tend to their hurts and troubles, but when it comes to defending them against wolves, they do very little. They are uh, asleep when it comes to the when the wolves come with their false teaching. Acts 20, 29 through 30 says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. And some even welcome them because the wolves have made themselves to look like sheep. That's what they do. Matthew 7:15 watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves now there are qualifications for in order to be a an overseer to be a good overseer he must be a man of integrity and faithfulness if he has integrity in his life he will also have integrity in the church as a good under shepherd. So following are the biblical qualifications to be an overseer from the passage I just read. First of all, the word blameless. He is a man who has no accusations against him of sins such as infidelity, stealing, lying, etc. Now this doesn't mean that he's perfect, but it does mean that he has a clean record in the community and someone people look up to and trust. He must not just preach good sermons. He must be a living example of salt and light. We know that from Matthew 5, 13 and 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It also says that he is a husband of one wife. The overseer is to be a man, not a woman. Women have every gift men have in the church, but they are to be subject to their husbands and the male leadership of the church, just as men are subject to Christ. Ephesians 5, 23-24, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The word for husband in Greek is honor, which means man, male, sir, fellow. Women can exercise all types of gifts in the church, but should not hold leadership positions over men. The overseer uh, should be married to one wife only. He should be faithful to his wife and not have other sexual relations, relationships with other women. Overseers often marry couples in the church, for instance. Well, how much more than should overseers take their own wedding vows seriously? It's a serious business to make a vow before God. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. It also says that his children believe. 
The fact that an overseer is married and has children suggests that an overseer must be have attained a certain level of maturity. It's a mistake to appoint overseers who are too young and have not had the experience of a wife and family. Having a family teaches a person many lessons in life, lessons that will be helpful in overseeing the church. The overseer's children, if there are any, must be born again. This fact shows that the overseer is a witness for Christ and has done so in his own family. And we think about Lot, who was a righteous man in himself, the Bible says so. But his downfall was that his family were clearly not believers. Because of this, Lot's daughters later got their father drunk and had sex with him. And of course, his wife uh, turned, uh, turned around and looked back where she came from and was turned to a pillar of salt. The children that, that, uh, uh, of his daughters became the Moabites and Ammonites, the mortal enemies of Israel. Genesis 19, 36-38. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites of today. Those children also, uh, need, the, the overseas children are, are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. The overseer's children must also not be wild and disobedient. A man who can manage his own children teaches them to respect authority. On the occasions when they are wild and disobedient, he will, dis, he will discipline them. This, is not, this does not mean that overseers' children are perfect little angels. And it doesn't mean that when they become adults, they may choose to abandon their faith as did the prodigal son. Overseers have children in the home who are being taught biblical principles and being discipled. I still remember the time I started fooling around in church when I was young, I was six years old. And my mother stood me up, walked me down the aisle of the church, the middle aisle of the church in front of everyone, took me right outside the front door and spanked me. <laughs> she then brought me back in down the aisle of the church in front of everyone. That taught me a lesson that I didn't forget. I didn't fool around in church anymore. An overseer must be actively teaching his children how to be respectful respectful and productive Christians. Overseer is also entrusted with God's work. Overseers must never forget that they are entrusted with God's work. In his work, it is his work, not their work. His Holy Spirit is the one who is doing the work of convicting, teaching, sanctifying, and disciplining his flock. The overseer is there to be a witness, a servant, an advisor, a man of prayer. The overseer does not rule the church and lord over it. He is not a dictator, but a servant himself by example. Notice uh, how the, the apostles addressed, talked about themselves. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God. James 1.1, James, a servant of God. Second uh, Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a serpent, a serpent. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. They viewed themselves as servants to the Lord.
Uh, overseer must also be blameless. Again, this is the second time he uses that word. Anytime you see words used uh, repeated in Scripture, that's for added special emphasis. The overseer is to stand as a man who is unaccused, a man of integrity in the community, an example of godly behavior. Titus 2, 7 through 8 says, In everything set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Well, we notice a few things in 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 this section as well. He must not be overbearing. Not overbearing means not self-pleasing, self-willed, or arrogant. The overseer should be a humble man rather than full of pride and arrogance. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Those who are wise are also humble. When you see men who are put in the position of overseers who are self-pleasing rather than Rather than humble men, you're seeing wolves. He must be not not quick-tempered. The Bible tells us to turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, uh, 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. But rather we are to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 44, you've heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A radical thought. We are not to be uh, quick te- quickly te- angered. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, don't be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. This is even more important an even more important quality for Christian leaders. They should not be quick to get angry or prone to get angry. Um, they, that means that they, they should have a forgiving heart, not hold grudges against other people. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Not given to drunkenness. On the surface, the Bible seems to give a mixed message on alcohol, but really it's very consistent. It states that a little wine can be helpful and healthy. For instance, Paul's advice to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.23, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. But it also states that getting drunk is a sin. Galatians 5, 19-21, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a balance here. The problem is that many people cannot take a little wine for health reasons without wanting to get drunk. So it's best to stay away from alcohol if you have a problem with addictive behavior. And this is true of anything, everything in moderation. 
Stay away from things that cause you to sin. And as a Christian leader, especially stay away from those things that might cause others to sin. 1 Corinthians 8.13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Remember that you are an example for people, and the overseer should avoid every kind, form, and appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in the NIV says, avoid every kind of evil. In the ASV, it says, abstain from every form of evil. And in the KJB, abstain from all appearance of evil. Even the appearance. He should not be violent. Not violence means not a striker, a bruiser, ready to come to blows, contentious, quarrelsome. The overseer should not be a person who is looking to start fights, especially when it comes to fighting for the truth. Jude 1.3 says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He should be a man who exhibits the fruit of the, uh, of the spirit of peace, gentleness, and self-control. You remember the list of of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He should be someone who does not start quarrels and foolish arguments. Titus 3, 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and uh, arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. But rather, demolish arguments against the truth in love. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Ephesians 4.15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. The truth and love, that's the balance. Truth and love. He should not pursue dishonest gain. Probably one of the biggest problems we have in Christian leaders who are in ministry, uh, they're in the ministry for dishonest gain. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the truth and place themselves uh, and pierce themselves with many, many griefs. How much more should an overseer be an example of honesty in finances and laying up treasure in heaven rather than on earth? 1 Timothy 6.19 In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's talking about eternal life. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your heart is set on treasure on earth, your master is not Jesus Christ, but money. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Rather, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Moving on to Titus 1.8, it says, Rather be, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hospitable. That's a person who is given to hospitality, a lover of hospitality, who is generous to guests. Now, I come from the island cultures, and, uh, and they are very good on that issue, and hopefully that will continue. Overseers are to be generous to guests and helpful to all. One exception to this rule is to be careful that you're not hospitable to wolves. For the Bible says we're not to even give them greetings or invite them into our homes. That's 2 John 1.10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. The churches in the first century were all house churches, so this means we are not to invite false teachers to teach in our churches. And we must make sure our materials are not, their materials are not being used by our sheep. He's a person who loves what is good. A person who loves what is good will think on what is good. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is uh, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And he will do good. Hebrews 13 through 16. And do not forget to do good. And to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Not only does an overseer do what is good. They show by their actions that they prefer good over evil. Thus showing their maturity in Christ. Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And Ephesians 4.11-13 I've read it already but... It, it says that we are to continue to build one another up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. In fact, in Ephesians 4, the very definition of a Christian leader is that they're able to bring people to maturity in Christ so that they will be able to discern truth from error. And he is to be self-controlled. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When we submit to God, he helps us to live a godly life and sanctifies us through the spirit of truth. John 17, 17, and 19. Sanctify them by the word. Your word is truth. For, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. But we must also exercise self-control. It's a two-way street. We have free will and can either choose to follow our spirit uh, created new conscience, which, you know, we know that Ephesians 4, 24 says, and put on the new self, or we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Or we can reject a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1, 19, holding on to uh, faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Overseers should live a life of moderation in all things. Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. They should also be upright. That means righteous, living, living, uh, right living. It means the overseer must be an example to others by being just uh, and fair to people. 
He must be a good, righteous judge. Uh, John 7, 24 says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Oh, we are to judge? Yes, we are. But not a hypocritical judge. Uh, Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's talking about hypocritical judgment. In other words, I'm judging somebody else for doing something that I'm doing. God hates that kind of judging. But nonetheless, we are to use judgment. Are there ways in which overseers are to judge? God says Christians are to judge those inside the church as God judges those outside. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Christians are to learn biblical judgment because someday we will judge the nations and the angels uh, with Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3 Do you not know that saints will judge the world? If you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge in trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge the angels? How much more the things of this life? We need to learn how to Judge now, judge rightly. To be a good judge and overseer must not be judging others for sins he himself is committing. He must be a man of integrity. And he must be holy. The overseer should be undefiled by sin, free from wickedness, religiously observing every moral obligation, pure, holy, pious. This doesn't mean overseers are perfect people. But they must be quick to repent of sin, publicly if necessary, as an example to others. The word holy also means set apart. Overseers are set apart to serve God alone and thereby serve his sheep they are shepherding. Because of this, they also avoid the leaven of false teaching. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old, old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. And finally, oh, and also remember Galatians 5, 9 says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You can't stop yeast from working once it has started working. You got to prevent it from getting in to the dough to begin with if you want something that's unleavened. And by the way, unleavened bread is a picture that, that Christ wants for his church. And finally, he must be disciplined. Finally, the character of an uh, overseer is one of discipline. This means they're temperate, living in moderation. They have learned to master, control, curb, and restrain their natural uh, emotional and physical appetites. They are self-controlled so that they may be of use to the Lord. They read their Bibles daily and pray for the sheep. They are careful to be an example of discipline to the sheep uh, in how they conduct their affairs. And family. This is perhaps one of the hardest areas to live as an example. I recently, uh, back some years ago, I lost about 70 pounds of weight, not only because my health was threatened, but because I knew that my being overweight was not a good witness. For the sake of your health and witness, I urge you to give the hardest area of your life, namely your flesh, over to the full control of the Spirit. 
He will help you in your, in your weakness if you allow him to do so. If you have to go to the hospital as a result of diabetes or other weight-related illnesses, then take that as a hard lesson from God and make the changes you know you need to make. I recently had to have that happen myself. I had the heart surgery because uh, of diabetes. But the Lord taught me some lessons there. We all have lessons to learn, but especially as overseers in the church. This is a message that uh, study that I put together for uh, a pastor's conference in Honolulu a number of years ago. And uh, there were a lot of different pastors from different places there. And so when you hear some references to the islands, you'll know why that is. I was a missionary out in Micronesia for 26 years. Well, first of all, let's read the rest of the passage, which is Titus 1, 9 through 11. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Well, there are a number of things in this verse, and we'll go through one by one. First of all, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught by the apostles in Jesus Christ. This is the most important criteria for being an overseer. This is repeated in 2 Peter 3.2, Ephesians 2.20, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, 1 Corinthians 11.2, Proverbs 7.2, and Titus 2.1. Unfortunately, many overseers do not seem to understand this point. Perhaps it's because they were appointed without having uh, the grace gift of servant leadership, as mentioned in Ephesians 4. If they did, they would be holding on to sound doctrine and teaching the flock to do so. But many churches no longer equip the sheep to stand in biblical truth. Most Christians today can no longer argue from the Bible. In fact, many don't even know their Bibles at all. You got to wonder if they're reading them. But true overseers will teach through the Bible verse by verse so that God's truth can be hidden in their hearts so they will not sin against him. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you hold firmly to the core doctrines of the faith as passed down from Jesus Christ, the foundational apostles and prophets, you will be standing against false doctrine. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unearthly uh, unhealthy uh, interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil um, suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Whoa! <laughs> Apparently things don't change that much, do they? And this is what must happen to keep the wolves away from eating the sheep. The second point is encourage others by sound doctrine. 
When sound doctrine is preached, Christians are encouraged. When false doctrine, pop psychology, talk story, and other things are taught from the pulpits, they don't benefit anyone. Jeremiah 23:32 says, Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. We want to teach things that will benefit people. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. This is why it's so important for the growth and maturity of the sheep to continue to teach sound doctrine. The next point is refute those who oppose it. This is where a lot of people fall down. When you take up a definite position of biblical truth, you will have opposition. In fact, uh, as I remember, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Spurgeon said almost that, that exact thing. There's, there's a famous quote. The overseer must be able to refute those who oppose the truth and teach the sheep to stand on their own. Today we don't like the idea of argument, and in the island societies where I uh, was a missionary, argument is usually a prelude to a fight. But there's such a thing as a good argument. It's the kind that demolishes strongholds and false arguments. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we do so, but we make sure that we're doing, we're uh, giving the truth in love. Well, the fact that we have so many false teachers on television these days is because overseers did not stand up for the truth and refute those who were opposing it. We have lost our saltiness. That's from Matthew 5.13. The world looks at Christian TV and does not want anything to do with the corruption, lies, and lack of integrity there. To fight this trend, the true overseer must equip himself and those he is serving to be able to fight for the truth of the written word of God. Sometimes we have to fight for the truth. The next point is many wolves have gone out. There, are many, there were many wolves in the, in the days of Paul. But you know what? There are many, many more today. The modern world is seeing the most false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, and false Christs it ever has in the history of the human race. Many of these heretics are traveling all over the world, even to the islands where I, I was a missionary. Perhaps your church has already had some visit, and will, it will surely you know, continue to increase. The false revival movement of the Toronto Blessing in Brownsville came to Guam, Saipan, Yap, Palau, and the Marshalls. Benny Hinn went to the Marshalls, and many have traveled to Honolulu from Micronesia to see him there. Kenneth Copeland has been to the Marshalls in Koshrai and Honolulu and wanted to come to Pohnpei. Chuck Kraft has been to uh, Tachuk uh, a number of times, and he's one of the architects of the New Apostolic Movement. 
Brownsville was instrumental in splitting the Yap Evangelical Church, and only by the grace of God have most of those hurts healed. It's now a, uh, it's now part of the problem in Palau uh, and the, in the assemblies of God there. Many speakers have traveled through the islands, and I'm always glad when overseers contact me and ask about them before they're invited to speak in the churches. A number turned out to be heretics, by the way, when I investigated them. Sun Myung Moon tried to get into Ebai in the Marshalls uh, with money to fund youth centers, but the Queen of Kwajalein, who I know personally, contacted me first to have me investigate, and I found that the organization was funded by the Moonies. You know, we have to protect our churches from traveling heretics, from books, from music, from organizations that are compromised, like YWAM, and from other people going to false churches and events. We need to tell them to turn off Christian TV, so-called, open up their Bibles, and grow to maturity in Christ. And by the way, find a church that's Bible-believing and Christ-centered. The next point is wolves are rebellious people. The character of wolves is obvious. They are rebellious or lawless. They claim they have freedom in Christ to do and say anything they please when God tells us to be careful of what we do and say. Titus 3.8 says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. 1 Corinthians 8.9, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And Romans 12:17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. On the other hand, we must also not do self-righteous acts in front of people for a show because, well, you'll lose your reward in heaven, basically. Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. But wolves are wild. There's actually a book that came out some time ago, went through the churches like wildfire, and its name was Wild at Heart. And it teaches that God is a wild God. Therefore, we too are created in his image to be wild. It's basically saying that the, what the pop song says is born to be wild. The fact is that actually we are born to be wild. <laughs> Wild means, though, chaotic, lawless, rebellious. Eve was the first wild woman, and her son Cain turned out the uh, turned into wildness, turned his wildness into murder. Wild at Heart was written by a wild, false teacher. Be careful of people like that. The next point is wolves are mere talkers. <laughs> Wolves are a never-ending source of talk about themselves and their ministry, quote-unquote. They're very good at public speaking, but very short on truth. They are excellent at boasting about themselves. Jude 1.16 says these men are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Ha! <laughs> Seen a lot of that. We see this continually on TV, on TBN, the 700 Club, etc. 
self-anointed, self-proclaimed prophets and apostles make all kinds of boasts. They say, we have the anointing and can give it to you. We are greater than the original apostles. We could have even died for your sins as we are the anointed. They constantly talk about themselves, tell stories about themselves, say they are hearing directly from God in visions and dreams, making uh, health claims they cannot back up, uh, healing claims that they can't back up with the facts. Well, whenever you see people who boast and do religious things in public so that people will think they're holy, you know that you're seeing false pharisaical religion. Mark 12, 38 through 40, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be great greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. We still have people like that today. Anyone who has seen TBN or the TV shows from the Vatican can see the flowing robes, the important seats, the lavish, de lavish decorations. The marketplace of today is the TV. In order to adorn themselves this way, they devour widows' houses just like they did in Jesus' day. They take everything they, they can get from these poor people. So many people who watch TBN have actually sent in all their money to these swindlers and end up with nothing in return except the hope that they will be able to pay their bills. I have many emails from people who ended up completely broke supporting people like Benny Hinn and thousands of other false teachers. False teachers make a big show of their long prayers. They even pretend that they know what's wrong with people watching the TV and they <laughs> make a big show of praying for some ailment they divine by word of knowledge such as a headache. Oh, wow. There's a great one. <laughs> Only about ooh, maybe two, three billion people have a headache at any given time. They know that out of the billions of people watching, there are many with headaches and they will get better. And then they, these, some of these poor people turn around and write a letter and, and then they read their unsubstantiated te testimony on their program uh, from someone who, whose headache went away, and they use that to, hmm, let's see, raise money. They also flatter others for their own advantage, Jude 1.16. One of the biggest trips, tricks of false teachers is to flatter people. Today it's especially done through so-called prophecy. They lay hands on people and prophesy something over them that makes them sound important, like God is calling them to be a prophet or an apostle, or something really important. I've told this before, but I had a man uh, prophesy over me that I would raise the dead in Micronesia. Now, God can raise the dead, but what purpose would it serve for me to know about that in advance? None, except to basically uh, you know, puff me up. That's when you know it's a false prophecy. Beware of it and rebuke those who practice it. Another way they flatter to get uh, together in unity with anyone, regardless of what they believe, uh, it, it, you know, they flatter people. Today, the Catholics, Oneness Pentecostals, who don't believe in the Trinity, uh, latter rain uh, third waivers, and others are all getting together to flatter one another. 
Tomorrow it will be the Muslims, Mormons, and other cults getting together with Christians. It's already happening now. There's already a move in the third wave to try to build bridges with the Muslims on the basis that we supposedly all worship the same God. But you know what? Allah is not YHWH. Why? Because YHWH has a son. And there's only one way to come to the Father. It's through the Son. And if you don't believe that he has a son, there's no way for you to be saved. So no, we're not together with the Muslims at all. The next point is wolves are deceivers. Wolves lay error secretly alongside of truth so that they may deceive people into believing the lies they themselves believe. Jude 1.4, for certain men have, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there are false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the uh, sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. That's what false teachers do. They end up bringing the way of truth into disrepute. They are deceived themselves and making deceivers of others. 2 Timothy 3.13, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's like a virus. <laughs> it spreads. Many deceivers have gone out. 2 John 1.7, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and antichrist. Now you can tell a deceiver by the lies he tells, the false doctrines they preach, the false prophecies they make, and if they're not repentant for them. Wolves teach legalism as did the circumcision group. This is always a big stumbling block for, block for many people. Wolves always teach other ways to be saved. They add requirements to salvation. Some add that you have to be baptized in water to be saved. Others add that you must have a second experience of the Holy Spirit or be slain in the Spirit. Some add sacraments like the Catholic Church. Some add things like requirements to dress in certain ways or, or abstain from certain foods. Various works are added to the simple message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Anytime you see other requirements being added, you're seeing a, the work of wolves. Wolves must be silenced. Wolves are not to be allowed to continue to speak. They are to be told to be silent, keep silent. If they will not, if, and if they will not, we are to reject them and toss them out of the churches. This is especially true of those who make false prophecies. One false prophecy that is not repented of is criteria for the church to separate from that person and for them to no longer be in, the, in ministry, especially in ministry. Wolves are not to be tolerated and allowed to continue because they, we know that God is going to judge them. We are commanded by God to separate ourselves from them 
If they're unrepentant, then we are to mark and avoid them. That's from Romans 16, 17. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. The word divisions here is the word hereticos, which means heretic or a divisive follower of false doctrines. If they do not repent, we are to reject them as heretics after they have been admonished a couple of times. Uh, that's what it says in Titus 3.10. A man is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. We should have no fellowship with their works, but expose them. Ephesians 5.11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless weeds, uh, deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We're to bring them into the light. The light of the word of God. Paul warned the churches about certain heretics as well as the prophets. We need to name names so we can warn others about heretics specifically as they did. The reason is that general principles are not enough. We have to be specific about who is teaching false doctrines and making false prophecies. And we then we must separate ourselves from them. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Therefore come out of out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. God calls us to be a holy people. That's what, uh, you, that's what he's doing for us uh, with sanctification. We are to be separated from the world. Separated from the wolves and the goats. We are to be unleavened bread. Here's the quote from Spurgeon. Neither when we have chosen our way can we keep company with those who go the other way. There must be, with the, the decision for truth, a corresponding protest against error. <laughs> well, we must keep away from them. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. I don't know how many times the Bible repeats that. Why is it that we don't pay attention? 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. If they don't heed the warnings of us, uh, from us as a brother, then we are to turn away from them. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. Wolves are ruining whole households. This is a real important one. Today, wolves are ruin households in two ways. Number one, they ruin churches. And number two, they ruin families. Their influence is felt in the churches through traveling teachers, books, tapes, and music. Their influence is felt in families, especially through TV. That's how they get into your house. They come into houses, churches, and homes and gain control of weak-willed Christians who don't know how to discern truth from error. 2 Timothy 3, 6-7. They are the kind that worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. They gain control by false promises of financial gain and false signs and wonders and promises of healing. Why do they do this? <sighs> For their financial gain. That always seems to be the bottom line, doesn't it? 
And yet the Bible is quite clear. Uh, we can't have two gods. Either, either your God is the Jesus Christ or it's money. Interesting song by Bob Dylan some time ago. You got to serve somebody, he says. I don't know who told him the truth, but <laughs> he actually got that one right. He said, you're going to either serve the devil or serve God. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. They gain control by false promises. Don't let them fool you by saying the money that they're collecting is for God's work. It's for their own enrichment. And it's been proven over and over again. And the continued support of those who teach false doctrines. The last couple points are wolves teach false doctrine, teaching things they ought not to teach. The main mark of wolves is that they teach false doctrine. So... And so the main test for wolves is whether or not they teach what they teach is in line with the core doctrines of the faith as set out in the 66 books of the Bible. This should be the first test of false teachers. The other two are testing prophecies and testing their fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Most of the ways in which many Christians decide who they'll listen to and follow today is not biblical. They rely on experiences, manifestations, feelings, Emotions, numbers of followers, numbers of people who claim to be saved, the size of a church or movement, signs and wonders, purported miracles, whether real or false, uh, subjective testimonies, hearsay and rumors, how successful and, uh, and rich a teacher is, if a person speaks with authority, or if the uh, or the atmosphere of a meeting is is you know is uh, so uh, enticing, etc. But true believers will test teaching first and foremost against the written word of God. That's the bottom line. Finally, full, uh, wolves' motivation is money for the sake of dishonest gain. Wolves' underlying motivation is money. Their God is their appetites. Romans 16, 18. For such people are not serving our Lord, Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. You know, we are not called to be naive as Christians. We're called to study the word of God and get some discernment. And, of course, money. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All you have to do is watch Christian TV to see this. But this problem is in the islands and everywhere else as well. What are you in ministry for is the question. For God or for money? Who is your master? 1 Peter 5.2, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And Hebrews 13:5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, 
please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.